0: The book of Isaiah is important to me because there was a time in my life when I knew God, but I truly did not have hope in God. What Isaiah promises, particularly in chapter 43, is that God sees me, that he loves me, and that he will redeem me. By bringing Jesus into my life at a time when I had no hope, God showed me that he keeps his promises. In the book of Isaiah, God promised that the Messiah would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. The New Testament Gospels show us that Jesus displayed the power, wisdom, leadership, and eternity of God the Father during his time on earth. He did not come to wage war on humanity, but to save us and lead us to everlasting peace. Jesus is the King of Kings and Prince of Peace. God always keeps his promises. So in each of the bumper videos that we've shown In this uh, season, we've had uh, people who come from Jewish backgrounds, but who have found the Messiah, to uh, speak of that experience, his promises made, uh, promises kept. And I was corrected appropriately by one of them who told me, we didn't find him, he found us. (laughs) We were found by the Messiah. And that's an incredible perspective on the centuries-old story that is the, the one of Jewish faith. And, and surprisingly, that's kind of what we're talking about uh, as we talk about promises kept. If you haven't been here as part of the series, we've been talking about Isaiah and how the prophecies in the Old Testament connect with the fulfillment of the prophecies in the New Testament. Biblical prophecy is, is just a, a fascinating thing, and we've looked at, at promises that God would come, that He would come as a baby, that He would come in the form of a man, that He would come in a way that we would connect the dots between what He had promised and what He fulfills. And so we've looked at Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah chapter 11 Isaiah chapter 12, Isaiah chapter 40 and this week I want to rummage around a little bit in Isaiah chapter 9 with the promise number four he will be called uh, in, in this particular promise God is not only telling us that he will come and that he will come as a baby but how the characteristics of that speak into the stuff that we're dealing with today so so follow this. We're in a series about how God keeps His promise, especially the promise that He would send His Son, so that all who believe in Him would know that they would not have to perish, that they would not have to have eternal separation between God and man, between pain and peace, but that they would be saved and then sometimes we forget that in John 10, 10, he, he tells us it's not just that we have the promise of eternal life in heaven, but that we have the promise of abundant life here on earth. So that's kind of where I want to go today, and, and here's what I want to say. The promise that a child would be born is about the promise that He would come, but also to give us an idea of, of who it is that came so that He can speak into us We talked a lot about covenants. And way back in the Old Testament, there was a a pretty simple arrangement between God and man. He said very simply, I will be your God and you will be my people. Now, whether or not you believe in God or or whether you're, you're trying to Sort of check out what it would might mean to be a, a follower of Christ. That it, it, it's it's sort of built into all of us to want to believe or want to grasp that there's something greater than ourselves. And the the, the Jewish people understood that to be God, the Creator, the sustainer of of all things. We talked about him from uh, Isaiah chapter 40 that he is he is the great God. He is the glorious God. He measures the waters in the hollow of his hands. He he measures the universe with a span. And so that God is who they connected with, with a very simple promise. I will be your God, you will be my people. Well, that's the simple part of it. That's what he told uh, Adam. That's what he told Abraham. That's what he told Noah. That's what he told Joseph. That's what he told Moses. Hey, I will be your God and you will be my people. And it's, it's a very simple arrangement. But humans then, and humans now, kind of complicated it. See if this sounds familiar to you. In the Old Testament, and in particular in the book of the Judges, there is something that's called the cycle of the Judges, and it's just an observation that man is living in relative peace, and then he decides that maybe he doesn't need God so much that he wants to put his trust in other things. And as he puts his trust in other things, his focus from God shifts, and, and now something happens in the world or something happens that disrupts things, uh, maybe a, an attacking army, maybe a natural disaster, maybe something in the family. But all of a sudden, he realizes he's not so self-sufficient. And he God, and he got to fix this mess. And so he cries out to God God sends a deliverer, a judge, a military leader, a change in circumstance. And now he's back on an even keel and rocking along until the whole cycle rents repeat. It starts all over again. Now, we would be sort of quick to put that back in the Old Testament and go, okay, that was olden days. And then we start thinking about our life, Right? Things are going pretty well, and then we sort of get self-sufficient. I I don't really need God. I don't really need a fellowship of believers. I don't really need to trust in anything except myself. I'm going to put my mo- my faith in my, my money. I'm going to put my faith in my power. I'm going to put my faith in my self-discipline. I'm going to put my faith in my fandom. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to put my efforts and my energy into something besides God and then we get in trouble. Our choices catch up with us, the consequences of our decision, things at work, things in the family, things in the neighborhood, things in the church, things in the government. All of a sudden we're not so self-sufficient. We cry out to God, here we go, right? And so this this, this whole prophecy in Isaiah is to say, okay, we've tried this for a very long time, and there's nothing that can break that cycle that man can produce. And so God is going to have to do something extraordinary to break the cycle of sin and some of you, you're, you're listening to this, and, and you're kind of getting that sort of uh, intuitively. You're going, okay, I need something to break the cycle in my life. I need something to, to disrupt this, this pattern of trying to do it on my own, not working out so well, trying to do it on my own, not working out so well. The consequences are catching up. I need something supernatural. I need something beyond what anybody could imagine. And so Isaiah tells us that God is unfolding a plan to complete that covenant, a plan that man could not possibly do, a plan that is described in the New Testament in the person of Jesus. And so we celebrate Christmas as that time that that marks when God decided to send Jesus. Now again, it's simple. But it's complicated. It's simple. We love Christmas. We, the theme of Christmas is coming home. The theme of Christmas is, is, is family is around the table. We're, we're kinder to people. We, we leave a tip for the postman. We, we are, are, are more benevolent. We are more generous. We are more outwardly focused. We bake things. We decorate things. We put lights on everything. Our electric bills go way up. Uh, we, We drive around seeing other people who have put lights on everything. It's just, we love this season. And yet we are acutely aware that there is another side of Christmas, that there is another side where there's someone who has lost a job, someone who has lost a relative, someone's going to be sitting around when turkey and ham are being passed around at the Christmas dinner, and there's going to be a chair that ought to be filled that's empty. All, All of us have that Awareness, but but some of you are in acute pain because you're lonely, because you're anxious, because you're frightened, because something new is going to happen. Uh, the birch, the canteras, you you're about to move away from from things that you love and things that you you grasp. There's a there's an underside of Christmas that says I need a promise that things are going to be okay. And so while. A lot of Christmas is about the the celebration, it's the joy, it's also a time of struggle. How in the world could God have spoken to that 800 years before Christ? How in the world could God have known that in Isaiah 40 He would need to write, comfort ye, comfort ye my people? How in the world would we know that here in Isaiah chapter 9, he would need to, to shift from eight chapters where he's speaking of judgment and, and, and consequence. And now all of a sudden in chapter 9 verse 1, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought to contempt to the land, but in the latter time he's made glorious the way of the sea. The people who walked in darkness have now seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of darkness, on them light has shone. You've multiplied the nation. You've increased the joy. They rejoice. Joy in the harvest. And they are glad when they divide the spoil. And then in verse 6, the, the, the verse that is kind of where I want to focus today, he says, for unto us a child is born, a son is given, The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. All of a sudden, we we get a sense that there is promise that is going on here. There's, There's hope that's going on here. Now, if you think I've heard those words before, child is born, son is given, Wonderful Counselor, well... A while back, a guy named Handel wrote a wonderful musical piece in a very short period of time. And a couple of years ago, during the COVID Christmas, our very own musicians here, our orchestra and our choir, did a social distancing presentation of messiah and just so i want you to remember the the scripture that i'm going to be talking about for the rest of the week if not the rest of the month you're welcome i want to show you just a clip of that If you want the rest of that, it's actually on the website. You can go on the DBC website, and under special events, you can click the same icon I showed you, and you can watch the whole hour and 10-minute presentation. It's absolutely fantastic. But what I wanted you to hear today was those soaring tones. The guy who writes the words takes the Scripture and says, I get it. The tone of this whole thing has changed. And now the judgment that is coming because of the actions of the people. We talked about how, how, how poor their decisions were in chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. How, how awful their decisions were. And how much they had turned to their own self-sufficiency and now had begun to cry out to God. And in chapter 9 we get this promise that something better is on the horizon. And Handel captured it well. With the soaring sense of, of hope, the, 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 the strings and the drums and the sopranos start and the tenors come in and then the altos and the basses and the wide open and, and for the rest of the day, you're going to be driving along in your car going wonderful. Got it. I don't apologize. Because that's what Isaiah is trying to do in this Scripture. He's trying to say to us, there is something incredible on the way. And then he describes what he would be like. He says, for, meaning for, unto us, meaning for us. Uh, according to something that god is up to that we can't be up to for unto us what's happening a son is given a child is born and in my mind i'm kind of thinking wait a minute that sounds like something in the new testament that sounds like a verse that a whole lot of people have memorized for god so loved the world that he gave his Son. 800 years before Christ, for unto us a child is born, a son is given. In the first century, John the Apostle, having walked and talked with Jesus, having seen Him crucified, having been there at a resurrection, having talked to Jesus afterwards, he goes, I get it. God so loved us that He gave His Son. He presented His Son. For unto us a son is given. And any who would follow, believe, embrace, anybody who would tag along with Jesus, receiving His forgiveness for sin, would not perish, have eternal separation from God, but have eternal life. And sometimes we forget the next verse, for God didn't send him into the world. A son wasn't born A child wasn't born, a son wasn't given, so that the world would be condemned, but that the world through him would be saved. When we turn to him, when we say, I'm not trying on my own, I'm not going to trust in riches or power or fame or work or connections, I'm going to trust that Jesus is the fulfillment of a promise. So why a child? Why a child? Brian and Sarah brought their daughter to church this morning, little Evie, and nobody looks at a baby and goes, that baby will probably never be able to do that ba- Pff, no chance that baby could do this. No chance they'll achieve this. No promise for that baby. You look at a baby and they can be anything. They are full of hope. They are full of promise they they are are full of potential anything can happen you look at your baby and you you coo and talk baby talk and you you can be anything you want to be and we we all have that optimism now i wonder if that's part of why god sent jesus as a baby not not as an adult who who was just stronger than other adults not as a warrior not as an angel who used supernatural phasers to just eliminate the competition a baby a helpless baby so why a baby to to show us our need right to show us that he would grow up and he would experience all the things that that babies experience all the the teething pains all the colic all the whatever there's nothing in the scripture that indicates that jesus didn't experience everything that goes with being human so why a baby so that you and I could understand without a doubt that no matter how painful your Christmas is, he understands. No matter how uh, in turmoil your, your life is, your choices, your, your, your anxiety, your apprehension, no matter what is going on there, you have a God who understands. And he demonstrated that for us in sending Jesus as a baby. So why a baby so he can understand us? Why is he God? So he can forgive us. You know, I have discovered in my years that I can't forgive anybody on somebody else's behalf. I can't say, okay, you wronged him, so he forgives you. Shazam. He. I pronounce forgiveness. He forgives you, and he forgives you, and he forgives you. I can't pronounce forgiveness for anybody except me. And God pronounced forgiveness through the birth, the death, the resurrection, the promised return of his son. He said, I ha- you have sinned against me. I can pronounce forgiveness. Only God. We can forgive those who are around us. But at best, it's conditional. He was born as a child because we needed to know that he understand. He was born as God because we needed to know that he had the power to forgive. And so, a counselor is described, humanity, divinity, hope, unlimited promise. And then it tells us of what it is that he is. It says that he's wonderful. Break that down for a second. He's wonderful, full of wonder. Nothing ordinary. He was born as a baby. This crazy star hangs out. The angels show up. The wise men show up. He's able to dodge death through the evil intentions of the king. He he fulfilled every single prophecy that was spoken eight hundred years before to the letter. The place he was born, the way he was born, uh, the the virginity of his mother, the lineage of his father. It, it, there, the, there's no coincidence. It's providence, and it's full of wonder. Full of wonder in the how. I think Handel captured that. He he wanted you to say, when we get to this part of the music, nobody can keep from tapping their toes, nobody can keep from having their spirit kind of rise in them. We get this God of the universe decided to send his own son in wonder. But isn't it interesting that he put the other word with it? He is full of wonder and yet a counselor. There's not a person in here that when you hear the word counselor, you don't think of somebody who can receive your words, who can hear your talk, who can take on your pain, who can, who can help you talk through, calm, over, prescribe something, suggest something, advise something. A counselor is one who hears us and who sits with us in our pain. He is full of wonder and he is counselor. But he doesn't leave it there. He is mighty God, he is the one who who measures the waters, who measures the universe, who spoke the universe into existence the one who created something from nothing, the one who flings the stars in the space, the one whom the psalmist in Psalm 8 says, what are you that, that you even think about me? You have created me just a little lower than the angels. You've created all things. You've put all things under my feet, the birds, the fish, the everything. How excellent is your name in all the earth. How majestic is your name in all the earth. He is mighty. God. He is able. He is powerful. When when I say I can't, He says, let's try a little bit more because I'm with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I am God, and you are not, and when you keep that in order, you do best. Okay, Lord. All right. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Father in all the best sense of the words, I know that some of you are disappointed in your dads. I know that some of us who are dads are disappointed in some of our own choices. But in this sense, he's talking about the very best that a father can be, the very best that a father should be, better than any earthly father because he is a father who is everlasting. He doesn't have a beginning. He doesn't have a middle. He doesn't have an end. God defines his own name by the verb, I am. And so He is the everlasting Father, that all-present Father, the one you call when you're in trouble, the one who will always be there for you. He is the Prince of Peace. He's the Prince of Peace. That elusive condition in our culture that is defied by politics, it's ignored by the media. If it bleeds, it leads. If, if it has peace, I don't want any part of putting it on the 5 o'clock news. We, it, with this elusive quality of peace, this thing that all of us desperately want just to sit down. And I, I get that feeling when I will sit down at Thanksgiving and, and my son, my daughter, my son-in-law, my grandson, my wife will all be around the table and there will be something in me that says all is right with the world. And we desire that feeling. We desire that that sense of, of rightness. And 800 years before Christ, Isaiah said, here's how it will unfold. I will send you an answer to the sin cycle. One who is wonderful counselor, one who is mighty God, one who is everlasting Father, One who is Prince of Peace. It's no wonder to me that the very last line in the Bible in Revelation says, Lord, Jesus, come quickly. Because we desire his presence. We desire his presence in our lives. We desire his presence in our church. Charles Wesley wrote a song a couple hundred years ago that sums it up for me. Come thou long-expected Jesus... Born to set thy people free from our fears, from our sins, release us. Let us find our rest. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth, desire of every nation, joy of every heart. You are born to deliver us. You're born a child, yet a king. Born to reign in us forever. Now thy gracious kingdom bring by thine own eternal spirit, rule in all all of our hearts, alone, rule in our hearts. By your sufficient merit, raise us up to the glory, to the wonder, to the magnificence of everything that we've been talking about. He promised that He would supply a remedy. He promised that He would send a son Unto us a child is born. Unto us a a son is given. I'm still waiting for the government to be on his shoulders, but that's another prayer. And in him, a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, a prince of peace. Promises made, promises kept. Pray with me. Gracious Lord, you're amazing. And as we even get caught up in the Christmas spirit and the Christmas season, let every single ornament remind us that you promised this thousands of years ago and you have kept your promise. God, for the ones who are in this room who are just hurting, anxious, I pray that you would give them peace even today. And even if the problems aren't completely solved today, that you would give them a sense that you are at work. Give them a sense that there is something bigger than themselves. Give them a sense that you are God. Let them hear your voice when they turn to you. Let them feel your presence. Let them understand in the actions of people around them or in a a, a song they hear or a word they hear or something they observe that you are with them. You never leave us. You never forsake us. You are wonderful counsel. You are our mighty God. You are our everlasting Father. You are our Prince of Peace. And in your name we pray.